Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 247 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Danai. Hi Danai, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I was just telling you guys how I was at an Indian wedding yesterday. So I don't know if any of the listeners have ever been, but it was so much fun. Yeah, I think the Indian wedding that I went to is the best, one of the best weddings that I've ever been to. Aside from like really close family, obviously. They're just, they're just the best fun. Just, oh, beautiful. Um, Anna, how are you? Good, thank you. Can't complain because the sun is out at last. (laughs) Oh, it's meant to be like 28 today. Oh, by the time this podcast comes out, I guarantee you it's raining. (laughs) It's great. I know you definitely brought the sun back with you. I know I'm very selfless like that I'm very very selfless but I I don't know about you but I have calls back to back today until like 5 p.m so I'm like as long as the sun's still shining at 5 p.m I will absolutely take it yeah. <laughs> finally a week of summer after literally July that felt like winter no do you know what though I'm holding out for September because usually September is like a, a last ditch summer attempt and usually around my birthday time it's like oh this is actually really nice so mm. I'm, I'm clinging to it Okay, let's get cracking on the questions. Uh, do you want to go first? Yes. So when working in the gym, mirrors and people comments on my body, especially post-binge days at work, can be such a minefield. I meet my clients with such compassion while on a while in a huge mental battle with myself. Any tips on navigating this pressure as a trainer at work? Is this personal trainer or personal trainer? I mean, look, one thing is to say it's super common to be able to treat other people with compassion and yet struggle with compassion yourself. Um, don't think that there's anything quote unquote wrong with you. It's it naturally is more challenging because of the world that we live in to be kinder to ourselves. The the same thing sort of still applies that we always say in terms of managing your body check-in, setting boundaries with colleagues at work. And especially if you work in a gym, actually it can be a really helpful conversation to have with other personal trainers that, you know, you don't comment on bodies and this is why, and you know, you, you're setting an example for your client. So you are very um, um, intentional with not talking about bodies and you would appreciate, you know, if, if everyone around you did the same, because that's the environment that you're trying to, create for your clients um and so then when you're talking about it it feels less personal you can feel like you're having a conversation from more of a professional level and that can actually help because sometimes when you're talking setting boundaries for yourself it can feel quite vulnerable but when you're doing it sort of on the premise of this is important for my business and the values that I have for my business that can feel like a more empowered and easier conversation to have I also think looking at, at what you're wearing because what you wear as a personal trainer, I don't know, some people have to wear 
certain like items of clothing if they work in certain gyms or whatever but I remember when I used to work in a gym oh like when I wasn't PT and I was lifeguarding this was obviously a long time ago and I'd have to wear like this hideous polo shirt thing and it was red and I and it didn't matter if I had binge eating or not I just felt like horrendous but I think looking at what, like looking at your outfits and can you wear something that's actually more comfortable so that you don't feel like your sports bra digging into your boobs. Like there are, may I recommend like urban outfitters, like loungewear, crop top type things are actually so super, super soft. They don't cut off the circulation to other parts of your body. And there are, I'm sure there are lots of places that do similar sort of items of clothing, but can you wear them instead of sports bras under your top for example little things that you do I physically can't really wear bras anymore because I feel so uncomfortable um and they constantly remind me that I'm in my body and and I know we talk about coming into your body and that being a really good thing but I don't want to be thinking about oh I can't breathe fully all the way out because my bra's compressing me so I think like although those are things that we've said so many times before in a PT slash gym environment, it can it can be a bit more challenging because of the mirrors, because of the types of clothing that people wear, and because of the the culture that that often normalizes talking about bodies and things like that. Yeah, that is a great point. And I was just thinking, I mean, now you're working with uh, Anna, so that can become a great opportunity to keep working on your body image as a whole, and perhaps feedback why it's so important especially as a trainer to keep detaching your appearance and how your body looks from your confidence and your worth in yourself and your abilities and skills as a trainer because I think sometimes we may especially again as a trainer you may kind of find these things even more triggering because of um, of that and what I would the other thing I would say it's kind of again like we'll say to all of our clients after overeating or binge eating because I think there was something about a post binge eating episode there in the question that it's so normal that that will impact our body image and we may quote-unquote feel more fat without actually your body having changed at all and others won't even notice that because it's more an internal feeling of kind of discomfort that you're projecting out onto your body uh, and just reminding yourself that that is normal and it will dissipate but just by you focusing on your general self-care it's it's really important yeah I think there's such a thing and I, I, I think about myself maybe when I was competing the first time when I struggled with binge eating post show and things I could almost guarantee although I'm not 100% sure that if I binged post show I would have gone into the gym and made a comment about my own appearance to get ahead of the game so that other people didn't notice. I know that I would have done that. And I know people do that even who maybe are not competing or people maybe who have gained weight and they struggle with that. They, it's like you you vocalise it first as a way of minimising the hurt of someone else then vocalising it. And it's like a self-preservation tool. Um, and that can be an insightful thing to notice for yourself because realistically you're telling yourself these people are going to comment and notice but realistically are they going to comment and notice like you said deny so be mindful that you're not getting ahead of the game or what you perceive to be the game by making comments and, and kind of um, talking about it first deny question um, I currently track my daily steps and always aim to get over 12,000. I do this even if I'm tired and want to rest. I will still go out for an extra walk to get my steps up. I have been questioning whether this is the best approach or if it would be better for me to listen to my body. I think that if I don't track steps, I could end up hardly moving some days. Do you think tracking steps is a healthy habit or is it uh, turning out of our bodies? Yeah, 
tuning out of our body, sorry. I think from listening to that question, you know the answer in the sense that it's probably not helpful for you at the moment to be tracking your steps because it means that you're not listening to your body, you're pushing it when it's tired just to hit a certain number. And I would question as well, why why that number? Because we know like the, the 10,000 target was, is it the people that like came up with the pedometer? And it was like the, the challenge to, hit, well, basically just to sell the pedometer. It doesn't really, yes, we know that kind of uh, moving throughout the day is gonna be supportive of health, but that's gonna look different day to day depending on kind of what you're doing, how you're feeling. Um, and I, I would say work towards moving away from tracking steps, work towards listening to your body and trust yourself that, I mean, from the sounds of it, you are an active individual. 12,000 isn't easy for a lot of people to be hitting on a daily basis. And I would lean into the discomfort of allowing those steps to come down a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, realistically, if I'm looking at step targets for health, I would say a minimum of 8,000 most days. Um, and if you're trying to get away from this clear target, then try something like, okay, I'm going to try 10 to 12,000 or 10 to 13,000 and then like nine to whatever and increase your range um, and let yourself fluctuate between that range and, and that actually be the goal to fluctuate because part of this is that perfectionist need to hit that number. But if you change the goalposts and your actual perfectionist tendencies are to hit this range then it's going to be a lot easier to hit that range than have that that key number um I think something that has come up with some of my clients before is what you've mentioned here of saying I think that if I don't track steps I could end up hardly moving some days and I want you to take a, a step back a little bit and think okay well you've you are an active individual you've done 12,000 steps for however many years of your life. You probably go to the gym and you're probably mindful of your relationship with food and your health because you're working with one of the ETPHD coaches. Realistically, what do you think the chances are of you suddenly waking up one day and doing a thousand steps a day? Realistically, that's not going to happen. And I understand that, you know, when you've spent a long time focusing on steps and calories and macros, the idea of even having faith in yourself and belief in yourself that you will do these healthy habits anyway feels like so far-fetched. But in order for habits to be healthy and, and sustainable, they need to align with our values. So look at what's important to you. And if health is a key value for you, then it's very, very unlikely that you're going to just suddenly wake up, like I said, and not ever move your body. It's just not going to happen because you're going to feel best when you are aligning your actions to your health. So check in with your values and then doing some work around um, embodiment and coming back to yourself and maybe some um, somatics work, et cetera, that allows you to develop that connection with yourself again, that trust with yourself again, so that as you do reduce this focus on the external rules, you are simultaneously increasing that trust in yourself so that you feel more able then to, to do that. 
I love that. And, you know, something I've been exploring with some clients recently is like, why are walks important for you outside of just getting movement in terms of the, you know, a lot of people like say it on fat loss, but, but physical health benefits, but also most importantly, your mental health and how you feel day to day. Again, going back to feeling more able to trust yourself if you have that strong why. And something else I've been noticing with clients recently, sometimes we think that the more we move, the better it is, but it's important to find a middle ground because actually moving too much can cause uh, so many side effects from leading to burnout, obviously struggling with things like fatigue, even anxiety, depression, and also might cause so much and such an increase in your appetite and hunger, whether your goal is starting uh, trying to stop binge eating or fat loss again that's not going to help you uh do that agree okay and now this is one of your clients questions well it's just a general topic dealing with failure slash food labeling embracing the process and choosing food relationship over fat loss so i guess this is probably two different topics or dealing with failure slash food labeling not quite sure as in eating something that's labeled i am trying to remember who asked that question but it's been a while now so it, it doesn't come to to mind um i think it might be something around dealing with failure when it comes to kind of experiencing set, setbacks okay. uh, while you're in this journey for example a setback could be when you find yourself labeling food again okay I mean, with with failure, it's something we talk about a lot. The, the the best way to quote unquote deal with it is not to try and avoid it, but to try and almost run into it sometimes because it's a sign that you're doing something different and it's a sign that you're doing something that is moving you towards your goals. And if you don't fail, sometimes you're not taking enough risks. If you don't fail, sometimes you're not pushing yourself hard enough. So now when I fail it still sucks it still feels horrible because it's like oh I can't like I'm embarrassed and um, I feel ashamed and I feel stupid that I even try to do that and all of the things that normally come up with failure and then saying okay but if I didn't do that where would I be and actually is this a sign that again this is a sign that you you went for something you were courageous you were brave you were vulnerable and it didn't work but you now know that you can do it again you've shown that you can do these things so the best thing you can do if you struggle with failure or perfectionism and the kind of fear of failure that comes with that is to reframe it we spoke about this on the mentoring podcast in relation to imposter syndrome and it's a very similar thing of we've chosen to to see these things as bad and shameful and and whatever other feelings that come up with that we can choose to see them as really positive things whilst recognizing of course some of the harder feelings that come alongside of that Mm. did you say deny like the the setback around labeling foods again yes for example yeah I think that's what Simone's by adding that in yeah because I I think like like Amelia was saying these times are so important because they just provide an opportunity to learn from and there can be so many reasons why it might happen whether there's kind of something gone going on outside um in like normal life away from the work that you're doing with deny and it's just impacting your relationship with food again but equally like we all talk about it some of these food rules 
and beliefs are so deep rooted that I mean very infrequently I'll still catch myself out and just be like oh that's interesting didn't realize that was still there and again it's not a a failure by any means it is just because let's be honest we've had so many messages for the majority of our life around food and how we should eat and rather than judging yourself just get a bit curious as to okay well what's going on for me right now Mm. another question how do you navigate over exercising whilst being a fitness instructor and needing to make an income so this client is a personal trainer and has done some incredible work in pulling back on some of her classes but still does teach a few of them and is working to restore her cycle oh what a fantastic question that is because this really highlights this um struggle that some people face when it comes to values and 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 reality right of the fact that you need to earn money and um, that's not like a well if, if your health wasn't more important to you then you would just stop working let's not be naive about this you need the money I think it really is about recognizing one that there, there will be times when two values will challenge each other and be almost feel almost dichotomous and um it's okay to say I'm going to prioritize one over the other because that's that is required and I think for you in this case realistically if that is your main source of income then then you do have to prioritize that to some degree and I mean as a as a business mentor I would say you know can we look at other sources of income can you consider other ways that you can um put that time and effort into your business to get some sort of financial reward without necessarily doing those classes etc that may be possible that may not be possible but it's definitely something to think about the other thing to think about is when you do these classes realistically some of them I know you have to do at full intensity in order to to be kind of going with the class but a lot of them you can do at a much lower intensity so spin for example you just turn that right down you don't have to be doing what everyone else is doing and I know that it might feel uncomfortable to you, but call yourself on that. Maybe you're doing like a body pump class. Bring your weights right down. Don't let your ego, because you're standing in front of a class, tell you to do it. What I will say also is when I used to teach classes and when I was training in my classes, I always remember that they were saying, you know, the, the best instructors are the ones that don't have to do everything alongside everyone, but can actually walk around and help with like um form and teaching points and stuff. So is there an opportunity for you here to to not do that? There's a yoga studio that I always go to in Austin and I love it. And it amazes me because the yoga teachers never do the yoga. They teach the whole thing by their cues. And, and I just think it's phenomenal because their, their teaching cues are much better because they're not thinking about their own stuff. Um, they're going around so you're more mindful of actually keeping up. Um, and I think it's a, such a skill. So is there an opportunity for that? then I think on top of that you need to be super mindful of um watching yourself talk and don't be hard on yourself if you are having to do extra classes and things like that like you're still doing everything you can and focusing on all the stuff that you can do with your HA recovery so making sure you're sleeping enough making sure that when you do these these classes that you're well fueled that you're eating well beforehand and after um that you're managing your stress and one of the biggest sources of stress is that self-critical talk um, around the fact that you feel like you're not doing enough etc cetera, etc cetera. 
so make sure you're managing all of that stuff as well mm-hmm. I'm not saying with this client by any means because I know like I said she's pulled back on some classes and is doing a lot of work but like you were saying you can scale back on the classes and I I think so many people like PTs or whether they are um group class instructors probably would struggle with scaling back if they were working to restore their cycle because but wouldn't bat an eyelid like would no would happily scale back if they were injured and I think okay so now's the time to be listening to your body and going yes there there does need to be some compromise made and it's the same thing such a good point too because if you're working it depends if you're working on a team or something but if you'd broken your leg your boss wouldn't make you do classes and of course it's it can be difficult to navigate to say well actually I'm working on restoring my period and that can be a very vulnerable and that might not be something that you're comfortable sharing and that's totally valid um but you are right like treating it as just as important physical um challenge as a broken bone for example I don't know So this is the second half of the previous question we were covering from my client. Uh, So this is about embracing the process and choosing your foot relationship over fat loss. The the most important thing to remember, no, one of the most important things to remember is that they're not dichotomous. And I really don't like the narrative and it's because we've got diet culture, we've got anti-diet culture and we're obviously in the middle and, I, and and diet culture says it has to look like fat loss and anti-diet culture says it can never look like fat loss. And so you you start to develop this story in your head. It's like I either choose fat loss or I either choose improving my relationship with food and it's, and it's rubbish. Um, that being said, if you have a fat loss goal, you'll never achieve your fat loss goals if you don't work on your relationship with food first, if that's something you struggle with. So even if initially, even if initially it's helpful for you to say, I'm choosing my food relationship so that eventually I can lose fat and maintain it. If that helps you for framing it, then then do that. And then the, the, the challenge comes then on focusing on delayed gratification as opposed to instant gratification and playing the long game and thinking, what my future self thank me for and building that resilience and that skill to focus on delayed gratification the most successful people in the world, regardless of what outcome you're looking at, are um, incredible at practicing delayed gratification. And they don't put that kind of short-term reward first. So I think that is one thing to be really mindful of. And then again, I suppose similar to the last question of coming back to your values and what's, what is most important to you. If, for example, you really value your family and connections and relationships and you struggle with emotionally eating and binge eating and you can't eat in front of your kids, but you have a fat loss goal, can you see how improving your relationship with food and focus on your relationship with food is really tied in with your values so that your daughter doesn't pick up the same troubling habits, as an example, with her food that, that you do? So really looking at what is most important to me and how does this process align with what's most important to me yeah I love that and something as we have been exploring I mean with various clients especially that have the same struggle is other ways you can measure progress that's not tied to numbers especially for people that come from a background of having done lots of fat loss programs and still being kind of very much conditioned to looking for that even though they know deep down that's not what we're working on right at this 
stage and kind of like you said Amelia it could be kind of your ability to be a lot more present when you're eating with your family but also a reduction in your overall overeating episodes improvement in how present and mindful you feel when you start to honor your hunger and fullness because more so many more things that again all of those things of course are going to be supporting your overall health and body composition as a byproduct as well as kind of you know you chose to do this process for a reason because things in the past haven't worked out so we don't want to be repeating of course the same old cycle and and doing something new which is scary lynn's question i'd love to know as much as i can about nutrition and weight loss when breastfeeding has this been addressed before we may have talked about it before um i actually think i might do a specific podcast on that so I'm going to bank that question because it's a great question. So thank you. And I will do a separate podcast on it and I'll make a note of that right now. So I'll go on to the next question. Forward thinking about restarting training. This is one of Becca's clients. So I'm guessing potentially maybe reduced training for HA recovery, I would guess. I'm wondering how to manage the increased appetite that will come with that. Um, <laughs> I was, well, I think be mindful of it you might not even notice a a change in appetite I would I think it's one of those things I think like everybody's completely different and some people do notice that change but I would question whether some of that worry is based on kind of maybe previous history of overtraining over exercising restriction and not enough fuel uh, in general so that worry is there now but as I said, you might be someone that does notice that change in appetite with exercise. And if you are working to restore your cycle and um, are in a place where you can uh, increase intensity, volume of sessions, then, I mean, just I, just honour it. That's generally what I would say. Be mindful in kind of, okay, increase portion sizes, um at main meal and snack times but don't overthink it yeah I think it's interesting that you immediately are apprehensive about this and see this as a negative thing on the flip side of that you could think this is a really positive thing because one I'm able to start training again and two maybe you've struggled with eating enough food because you've been recovering your period and for reference once you get your period back we still wouldn't class it as fully recovered until you've had six consecutive regular cycles. So realistically, that increase in appetite is probably going to do you a favor because it's going to help keep you in a surplus whilst your energy expenditure is increasing. So it's going to help with your health. What would be annoying is if your appetite didn't go up, your expenditure increased and the time that you had available to eat reduced because you were now training um, and actually you ended up eating in a, in a deficit that would be really unhelpful for your recovery. So if anything, this is this could be a really positive thing if you frame it in that way. And in terms of just managing appetite on the whole, of course, we want to do things like make sure we're eating enough protein and fiber and regularly and maybe having more calories in the morning and um, eating mindfully. Did I say that already? Possibly. And um, making sure your meals are satisfying, all of these things. But again, coming back to HA recovery, some of these things are things that you want to actually reduce. You might want to reduce your fiber intake so that you're still hungry, so that you're eating enough, for example. So there are what I'm trying to say is if 
incessant hunger becomes a quote-unquote issue for somebody, then there are lots of ways to help manage that. If you're recovering from HA, then it's unlikely that that's going to be a key problem. And, and one thing that I would also say is, you know, when you have very low body fat levels or you're over exercising or you have HA, your hunger is, is very dysregulated. So and it's sort of similar to what you were saying, Anna, when you maybe lost your period when you were training, you may already had have had dysregulated hunger levels and hunger hormones. So don't compare your journey now to what your journey may have been on the other in the other direction because you're in a completely different place your body your physiology is in a different place now so you're you, you can't expect your body to do the same thing as that it did before did i um so this is from becca's client if you're prone to body checking are mirrors in your house a bad idea no just be mindful I, well i say that i'm like yeah just be mindful but I mean, we don't want to go to the complete other end of the spectrum and complete avoidance. Like, there's nothing wrong with checking your outfit before you head out for the day. But if you know that kind of the morning you wake up, you're not feeling great in yourself. Okay, well, maybe I will purposely like avoid getting changed in front of the mirror or throw a jumper over the mirror so you're not really paying attention to it. Um, and just thinking how how you can support yourself depending on how you feel that day yeah it's kind of similar to if you're prone to overeating should I just not keep any of the foods in the house that I will overeat on like you don't want to you don't want to um, solve the problem by changing the external things you want to manage the internal environment so that you have the choice and the the you have feelings of power over what you choose to do and so you're very intrinsically driven rather than externally guided. And so working on like uh, the awareness of your body checking behaviors, working on the awareness of what body checking behaviors feel like they give you, i.e. a sense of control or um, whatever, everyone's different, right? But whatever body checking is providing for you, you need to understand and develop your awareness of these things so that when you are faced with mirrors, I mean, it's slightly different from food. You're never going to be in like, I don't know, a house of mirrors and you might be in a donut shop, but you get the idea. You want to be able to be around mirrors and be intrinsically driven to just check your hair rather than check your body, for example. Yeah. And I think it's a really great opportunity to learn to challenge your your negative self talk as well. A little bit like Anna was saying because if you are if one of your goals especially is becoming more accepting of your body removing mirrors completely might not support that because you're still reinforcing that message that there's something wrong with my body i need to be avoiding it at all times whereas still catching a reflection and noticing the internal dialogue that comes up it's a great opportunity to use all of those tools you're learning a reframing your thinking practicing self passion and even practicing more body functionality and kind of tapping into the things that your body has allowed you to do on that day or um that can then really help you kind of again trust yourself that you can navigate those feelings as opposed to avoiding them altogether okay i find meditation really challenging but i try to do it at least twice a week in the hope that at some point it will become easier when I'm meditating, my mind is all over the place and I have to really try to pull it back 
But when the moment comes to let go and let my mind wander, it just goes blank. And I literally have no thoughts. Is this something that you have experienced? And is it just continuing to practice that will help? Hmm. What? Mm -hmm. Okay. What's wrong with your mind going blank? It sounds like you're saying there's something wrong when my mind's wandering and busy, but there's also something wrong when my mind's going blank. They, they can't both be wrong. Actually, none of them are wrong. Um, the purpose of meditation is not to have your mind blank. It's not to completely stop any thoughts whatsoever. The purpose of meditation is to focus your attention on something specific. And then usually in that, in that state, it's your breath. And if you meditate for a sufficient amount of time, usually unguided, focusing on your breath, you might reach a kind of deeper state where you're still focusing on your breath, but it doesn't feel so intentional and your mind is less likely to wander. But your mind is going to wander a lot of the time when you meditate, that's super, super normal. And the idea is that you notice your mind wandering and you just come back to your breath. You notice it again and you come back to your breath. You don't like it because it's uncomfortable and it's it's actually hard work. And it's interesting to me, right? Because I'm sure this person trains hard in the gym and works hard on their nutrition habits and does all of the kind of resources that Georgia sets for them and is really like motivated and dedicated and, and disciplined with all of this stuff. I guarantee it. But with meditation, it's like, no, I'm rubbish at it because it's and it is because it's hard, but we think it's going to be easy. So we look at meditation, we think, oh, you're just sitting down and emptying your mind. It should feel simple, but it's not. It's just as hard as going to the gym and hitting a PB in, in your hip thrust. Like it's just as difficult, if not more, because it's something that actually you've not done before. So I think letting go of that perfectionist mindset or letting go of the expectations of what you think meditation is supposed to be. One of my clients, I've said this a million times, but one of my clients years ago said, as soon as I realized meditation was like reps for my brain. And every time my, my mind came back to my breath after it wandered, it was like a rep and it strengthened my brain. It changed the game because then I realized every time that did it, it was actually a good thing. Um, and so she wouldn't actively let her mind wander, but the, but she could see it in a compassionate light and realize that was one of the purposes of it. Um, the other thing I would say is with meditation, doing it at least twice a week. Sometimes I think set, we set our habits, to, our barriers, our goals too low and it we build up in our head. So you're building up in your head, I need to do this meditation twice a week. So you, you, you kind of maybe put it off, put it off, put it off and then you do it and then it's like you have to, just have to get it done. What if you said, I'm going to meditate for two minutes every day for the next week? Just notice the difference. It becomes a much easier habit to get up in the morning, set your alarm, sit on the side of your bed for two minutes when you wake up and just breathe for two minutes and get on with your day. That is a hell of a lot easier. And you can do it for seven days in a row than building up to doing maybe a 10 minute meditation set that's guided that like you feel like you have to do. So I think, I definitely think there's a, a mistake that some of us make either as coaches or um as people in general when we're trying to build a new habit that we think gently building up is the way to go and sometimes that's the case maybe with exercise it's the case you don't want to go from zero to seven days in the gym but with certain other habits like if you're starting to brush your teeth you wouldn't just be like I'm just going to brush my teeth twice a day I know that's a little bit different but um try changing the way you set your habits and see if that's more helpful 
Anna. Tips for switching off, as I've got a lot on my plate right now and it's noticeably harder to shelf stresses. Can you please repeat that, sorry. Oh yeah, sure. So tips for switching off would be helpful as I've got a lot on my plate right now and it's noticeably harder to shelf stresses. Ah. Okay, question. I was going to say thinking a little bit more about kind of where in your day you can create some what we can call mindful moments where it doesn't need to be anything complicated that you do, but really small things. Because I think when things get busy, we tend to let go of a lot of our habits, things like maybe you don't find time to meditate or exercise as much or journal as much and you might not have time to do these things exactly the same the way you do them when you're not as busy or, or as stressed so perhaps moments where instead of doing a meditation you just take some deep belly breaths for five minutes maximum or still finding five minutes in the day just to make a cup of tea and sit down to have it without distraction or even your meal time can be uh, can be used in the same way so having your meal undistracted and that can become a form of self-care or taking a, a shower or just going out for a, even a 10-minute uh, walk and even schedule the, schedule the, in, in your diary so, something personally that has really, really helped me when things are busy so you don't let, let go of your self-care that's equally important and treating it like another meeting that you'd have, let's say, with work, for example. I would add... Because this client is very good at knowing, like, end of the working day, that's it. And then it's her evening time. But I think at the moment, um, with everything that's going on, it's the headspace side of things. And I think if you can explore different ways to to rest and to switch off that maybe are more immersive, that maybe kind of keep your hands busy um well I say that just because it's it's been helping me I've been doing lots of like creative rest um mine's out the gutters I realized what I said <laughs> or maybe <laughs> I don't know um but no I, I I think obviously so many people like and there's nothing wrong with that in the evenings we'll just sit on sit on the sofa watching tv but if you're finding that that's when you're struggling to let go of the never-ending to-do list or everything that you've got on at the moment okay well how can I let my brain switch off but maybe is still a little bit active in a sense I completely agree and I think just being intentional with things like your phone phone is a classic one when you're busy you still somehow manage to check your phone more and then when you're when you switch off then you then it's your time to check your phone and then you check it more and I'm definitely prone to this where I usually will use like walks outside to answer messages and things like that and then I find that actually some days my my lunchtime walk is the only hour that I have off in the day and I'm still like I need to reply to these messages and it's and and that's not okay because that's literally the only time that I get to use my brain and I think phones have got a huge amount to answer for and when you quote quote switch off at night like you were saying Anna if you then still have your hands free and you can still check your phone it just remind you of all the things that you have to do and even things like if you have your diary on your phone or you're checking your diary the night before when you're actually switched off are you still thinking okay tomorrow I've got to do x y and z and then um 
or or again like you're messaging someone back or you're still thinking about all of the things that you have to do and of course some things will infiltrate more than others family children these types of things will infiltrate more than others um I last night switched off and then someone came to my door and said there's rats in our neighborhood and they might be like near your house and then at the same time I went out for a walk and saw since I was in Austin a pigeon had created a nest above my front door and so there's poop all over my front door and then I cleaned it and then it pooped again and these things you can't really escape from when they're on your front door right but you can still I think creating a safe haven where things can infiltrate you so much can be really helpful even if it's like a corner of your room or when you're in bed thinking of it as like that's your bubble and nothing else can get in no phone scrolling no neighbors no rats like it's like your own little cocoon being really intentional with your space when you do switch off and that sensory rest too of like for me it will be candles and incense and even if it's just my living room no work gets in there nothing that is very intentionally my space so you have to just be really intentional with carving out those little parts of your life to be to be restful however big or small they are and romanticize that like romanticize that dinner that you have with yourself that you normally might feel rushed but that's your one time to be with yourself light a candle think do whatever I'm I'm laughing because I'm I sit I'm sitting at my kitchen table right now and I've got a giant mirror like in front of my kitchen table and I'm like look in the mirror and eat your dinner with yourself like do whatever you need to do to romanticize it and make it a bigger deal and, and make it more enjoyable do you know what I found out recently that has been an absolute game changer for me that I, I don't know why I didn't know it was a thing but I bad on my phone I hands up admit in the evening I'll be scrolling but I'd always be like, oh, well, I can't put my phone on, like, do not disturb, because what if my mum needs me? Or what if my brother? And I found out you can have, like, I think it's like emergency contacts that still come through. And I had no idea. So I was like, oh, well, that's okay then. And it's been incredible. Yes, I have the exact same thing. It's life changing. It's like family can get through. I actually think it's just family that can get through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one else can wait. Um, yeah, my phone's on to do not disturb 24 hours a day. I, I actually it gives me anxiety when I see people whose phones make a noise I'm like what well, no our apple watches buzzing all the time oh my god that makes me want to die just thinking about it yeah get your phone and do not disturb everyone <laughs> um okay. whose question is it did I uh, yes I think it's me so uh should you take a vitamin d supplement uh oh sorry I skipped a question <laughs> let's just go with it uh, so do you take a vitamin D supplement year round or just during the winter months? Wow. <laughs> That's where you live. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I think I started taking it at the end of June again because I was like, where is the sun? Yeah, take it. It depends on where you are, right? Um, if you're in the UK, you may as well take it year round. Um, you might it depends on your dose too don't be taking like five thousand international units and hopefully you're not doing that every day anyway but if you're taking like a thousand international units every day it's fine realistically too in the summer even if it's like so today it's 26 degrees here today realistically i got 10 minutes this morning i'll get half an hour at lunch and i'll get half an hour at 5 p.m okay it's summer but am i getting enough vitamin d if i've got sunscreen on my face and hardly any of my skin is going to be out no like, I think we forget we're like oh yeah but 
is sunny, but it's realistically, how much of your skin is exposed without sun cream, um, without clothing, and, and for how long day to day? It's probably not very much if you have a job or things to do. So um, I would still take it. I would just take it year round. Mm, okay, last question. I felt really self-conscious about how much I don't match the picture in my head of what I look like. There were lots of there were lots of photos being taken. Okay, I'm assuming this person was at an event. Okay, there were lots of photos being taken, and I feel really surprised when I look at them about how much bigger I am than I expect to be from looking at my body. It can be really jarring. Any advice or ways to overcome these moments? We've talked about it before, but body image is a perception. So how you're seeing yourself in person and how you're seeing yourself in photos. Going to, well, I mean, it's going to be different, but it's going to be different day to day, depending on, on how you're feeling in yourself. And I've certainly had this with clients before, um, whether it's been photos or kind of when they see their reflection in the mirror and it's not kind of, it, it doesn't match how they feel in themselves. And I know we've spoken about this before and it's what they've worked through is kind of spending more time looking at themselves in the mirror and kind of just exploring their body a little bit more, doing some uh, somatic works as well. So ways to connect with their body and build awareness of how their body's feeling, whether that's kind of grounding exercises um, or balance work in yoga, uh, body weight exercises as well, just getting an idea of kind of how their body, how they feel in their body. Um, but also when it comes to like looking at photos, calling yourself out and are you just looking at the photo to examine how you look or can you take that step back and look at everything else that's going on in that photo and the memories that were made on that day? Yeah. How we look at photos is so messed up in general. Like, because we've been so inundated with um, Daily Mail and photos are about looking at bodies and um, social media photos are about, again, like especially in fitness and looking at bodies, we think that that's what photos are for. And I wonder if you could try the tool that we use, beauty hunting, which is where you actively every day take pictures, one picture of something that is naturally so beautiful to you. Um, maybe it's like, like or it's similar to glimmers that I've been speaking about quite a lot recently of, you know, finding one thing every day that offers you that sense of calmness and safety and joy. And I wonder if you could be really intentional with that and start actually taking pictures for those reasons. And I question how that would then filter into the pictures that are taken of events and things like that. Can you then, you, you may well be able to then sort of retrain the way that you look at photos day to day of okay well now I'm going to start looking more at photos day to day of where's the beauty in these photos and it's not about the way that your body size is it's about like the look in your eyes of how happy you are or the funny thing in the background of someone doing something stupid whatever it is that's what you you want to train yourself to start looking at these things because photos are about capturing memories they're not about capturing bodies and it's funny that we've kind of really we truly have gotten to that space where progress pictures and 
selfies and all of these things and even selfies are they started off to be capturing like you and your friend at an event or whatever and then selfies have become pictures of yourself and your outfit and all of these things but that's fine but just be really mindful of the way that you're using pictures and and know that it's a choice of how you do that and you can train yourself to look at these in a different way yeah absolutely that's something i've been exploring a lot with clients recently because i have quite a few having uh have wed their weddings coming up and they find the idea of having photos being taken of them quite triggering. I think, like we said earlier for a different question, that can become, again, a really great opportunity to show you where you may need to do a little bit more work in terms of your relationship with your body because it's really never about the photos per se, but all the stories that subconsciously are being triggered and feelings you have towards yourself by looking at that picture and thinking you're in a bigger body and what does that mean? So what do you make that mean about yourself? Perhaps it triggers that kind of deeper sense of low self-worth that I'm not going to be good enough. Were people judging me? What were they thinking of me that needs actually to do a little bit of work? So next time that you're looking at pictures and maybe you catch those thoughts automatically coming up, because of course we don't have control over the thought that could come up whilst you're looking at the picture, but at least you have the self-awareness to respond differently and be more compassionate with yourself so it doesn't impact your mood as much okay fabulous great questions thank you both so much bye thanks thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like share subscribe and review And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.